Vermont Viewpoint is a public affairs program produced and funded by WDEV and the Radio Vermont Group. We welcome listener feedback. Email your comments to vtviewpoint at radiovermont.com. From WDEV Radio in Waterbury, welcome to Vermont Viewpoint, the public affairs show where we try to explain Vermont and the nation and understand our politics, culture, and democracy in ways we're still figuring out. I'm Kevin Ellison, the chair and at the mic, and welcome to everyone listening on the radio and online at WDEVradio.com and on the free WDEV Radio app. Today is Friday, July 14th. What a week. As we did Wednesday, we're going to focus on our neighbors uh, and the flood. Um, at the risk of uh, focusing only on the bad, we're going to try to focus on the good as well because there's a lot of good coming out of this. We will keep the phones open for the entire show as we did Wednesday because we want to hear your stories. There's still a lot of pain out there. This is a long haul. Uh, people, especially those merchants in downtown Montpelier and Barry are suffering and we're going to continue to pay attention to that. Uh, we invite everyone to call in and to the show and tell us what you're going through and what lies ahead. The number. 244-1777. You can email me at, uh, vtviewpoint at Vermont, uh, at radiovermont.com. Uh, we are going to be joined in a couple of minutes by a representative of FEMA. Uh, his name is Dave Mason. He's a name that many of you know because he was a journalist here for, in central Vermont for many years. And, uh, he's been at this work for a long time. Uh, he deals with the congressional delegation, but he'll be uh, here to talk to us uh, in detail about what comes next. If you're a shopkeeper in downtown wherever uh, and you're going to have to talk to the folks at FEMA, uh, what should you expect? What should you do, et cetera, et cetera? Then we're going to be joined by Patty Cumline, who um, – is a former state representative who has started a new disaster fund downtown, uh, where throughout the state, it actually it's a statewide disaster fund uh, that you, if you want to donate, you can donate to that fund, uh, and we'll get the details on that. If you call in, you'll reach Danny at the board, and he will put you on the air with me. But first, a little essay I wrote last night. It's a cliche now, Vermont strong. It's an old trope that refers to our Vermont values, our grit, how we pull strangers out of the ditch and bring food to neighbors in trouble. The news media often talks about it whenever they venture here to write about us. Nestled in the green mountains, these hardy band of neighbors pulled together in a crisis, the kind of community that Norman Rockwell drew, or something like that. That's been true for generations, but technology, the interstate, Farm modernization have all combined to pull us apart bit by bit. But every once in a while, forces beyond our control pull us back together. We had the flood in 27, the flood in 92, then in 2011, Tropical Storm Irene. Now this, two days of heavy rain, Sunday, Monday, put Montpelier on the front page of the New York Times. I must admit, I was a little slow to act on this one. My wife and I are used to rain. The garden needed it, but this just kept coming and coming. And, boy, late Monday, it just all happened in about an hour. 
We're used to this now. The storm hits and destroys everything. The news media arrives from Boston and New York and Manchester, New Hampshire, to tell the story of the quaint village of hardy New Englanders pulling together. The congressional delegation arrives for a tour of the damaged communities. They go on TV and radio, including my show. They drag the FEMA director with them, who promises to help to speed up the process in getting financial help. And then many of them leave town, and the merchants and citizens of towns from Jamaica to Johnson are left to fend for themselves that grant money, a tiny speck of promise far down the road. In downtown Montpelier, there is despair, exhaustion, and helplessness. Many are wondering the same question. How on earth can we build the, rebuild this town? Government buildings literally in the middle of a river, the ground floor and basements of coffee shops, bookstores, hardware stores, our tiny gem of an art house movie theater and the toy store are all underwater, their inventory destroyed. Hugo's Bar and Grill lost $30,000 worth of food in one day. No one has flood insurance. I saw city manager Bill Fraser walking the town trying to execute a cleanup plan. Mud is everywhere. People are filthy. These are people who shut down their businesses during COVID and emerged still kicking. Now they have to deal with this. It's brutal and tragic and so, so sad. And then you walk down the street and you see Fred Bashara, who just sold his Capitol Plaza Hotel to a new owner. He closed the deal last week. He has no reason to be here. Financially, his timing was perfect. But here he is in his muddy boots, showing the new owners around, advising them on how to proceed why is he here at 80-plus years old, I ask him? Because I know where everything is, he says. He remembers, and he knows, because he bought the hotel in 93, just after the last flood destroyed it. In a small attempt to help out, my son and I brought some tools and work gloves to our favorite bookstore, Bear Pond Books. The place has been underwater for days. The health inspectors only let them get back in the last couple of days. And we walk in, and there's an army of people mopping, sweeping, unscrewing shelves, moving computers. The owners, like most of their colleagues, have a dazed look that, lo- that lands somewhere between despair and giddy optimism. Somebody baked cookies. It's hard to tell what's really going on here. Right now, they're just put, putting one foot in front of the other, but they are among friends. They're people, fellow book lovers who work in the store buy their books, and come get filthy when the chips are down. There is laughter and teamwork. There is community. Their landlord, Tim Heaney, is there in his mud boots. He's filthy. He owns many of these buildings. He has decisions to make, a lot of them. His contractors already ordered the new flooring for the bookstore. He'll rip out the old wet floor in the next day or so. I listen to their plans amazed. There's nothing like a skilled contractor or a disaster on a disaster scene who knows how to move things, break things, rebuild things. There's nothing like it, except maybe a group of neighbors who just showed up. One thing is apparent. These people are not going away. They are sticking with it. They will return tomorrow and again the next day, and they will reopen, and we will be back. We will buy their books from them that we can get cheaper on Amazon. Because we like these people, because they would be here for us. Because if we lose Bear Pond Books, or the Savoy Theater, or the coffee shop next door, or the hardware store, we lose something deeper. We lose the very reason we are here in the first place. 
Living in a tiny Vermont city is hard. It's freezing in the winter. The food is as expensive as it is in New York. Rents are climbing. There's a housing shortage. And the entire downtown just flooded and is now caked with toxic dust being spun up by the cars driving through town. But people are rallying to help in ways they wouldn't if Vermont was dominated by Walmarts and pottery barns. There is pride in that, even arrogance, but it's real and can sustain a community. Vermont Strong, we'll be right back. We are back, and our first uh, guest is a familiar name, so it's really nice to have him live in the studio. Dave Mace was a uh, political reporter for the uh, press bureau of the Rutland Herald and Times Argus for many years, and he is the Congressional Affairs Specialist for the Federal Emergency Management Agency. He is on the hot seat uh, with every all of us together, and he's here to tell us how this is all going to work. Uh, but before we just talk, let's just remind everybody that the phones are open, 244-1777. If you have a question <clears throat> and we do not have an answer for you, we'll get the answer and get it back to you. Um, and we've got this guy right in the seat in front of me who can answer a lot of questions, which really, boy, well, first of all, Dave, welcome to the show. Thank you for coming. Uh, thank you for having me on, Kevin. I appreciate it. Uh, I guess the first question is, as people begin to dry out, get their junk out of their place, and it's all on the sidewalk, what is the role that FEMA plays? I know that your boss, Director Criswell, was here with the congressional delegation. What should uh, business owners be thinking about next? Well, first, uh, let me say on, on behalf of... Uh President Biden, uh, FEMA Administrator uh, Dan Criswell, and the en- entire FEMA team, uh, we're we're extremely uh, humbled and and uh, uh, gratified that we can be here to help Vermonters. Our hearts go out to all of those who've been impacted by this catastrophic uh, flooding, and uh, we are here to assist and to support the state and uh, local governments. In, uh, in any way we can uh, for as long as it takes to, uh, to uh, get through this recovery. Um, the the uh, initial emergency declaration uh, that was uh, signed by President Biden earlier this week is, uh, is a temporary and limited declaration which uh, unlocks federal aid primarily for the state and local governments uh, to deal with the costs of the of preparing and responding to the uh, event, so this will reimburse uh, state and local government for uh, any sandbagging or evacuations that took place before and during the early stages of the event for the cost of the uh, the emergency response in uh, responding to the event and the um, other associated costs with standing up a uh, the Emergency Operations Center and, and uh, uh, bringing in uh, needed uh, materials and equipment to to, uh, pr- to do the response. Um, the next step will be uh, a full major disaster declaration. Um, that's the that's currently been requested by the administration of uh, Governor Phil Scott and is uh, in in. Uh, in Washington, uh, working through the channels to get to the president's desk. Uh, the president ultimately uh, is the deciding 
the the decider, I should say, uh, <laughs> and when it comes to uh, when it comes to major disaster declarations, only the president has that authority. Um, with uh, respect to next steps, um, the next steps for if a major disaster is declared will be for individuals and households to register with FEMA for assistance um, to, to assist them in their recovery. Um, that's uh, the program we call individual assistance, and it can provide grant funding for uh, temporary housing if uh, a home is uh, unlivable, um, for uh, immediate uh, repairs to the, to the home to make it uh, safe, sanitary, and, and habitable. Um, those are the first steps in trying to get people uh, back on their feet. Um, you've, you've asked about the business community, and um, there, there's, uh, there's a dichotomy in terms of, uh, of terms of the federal government's response. FEMA is, is only one of many federal government partners who take part in uh, recovering from a disaster of this nature. One of the other major partners is the U.S. Small Business Administration. Ah, uh, right. <clears throat> and they will they will be the primary <clears throat> avenue for assistance to uh, business owners. Um, FEMA's uh, primary role is to assist individuals and families who've been uh, affected by the incident, and also to uh, reimburse state, local, county, municipal, and tribal. Uh, governments for the expenses incurred as a result of the disaster. So that includes both the response to the disaster, uh, the search and rescue, the uh, the police and fire uh, uh, dispatches, uh, anything related to the disaster, as well as uh, rebuilding and replacing uh, damaged or destroyed infrastructure, uh, roads, bridges, buildings, um, utilities, uh, sewer treatment plants, uh, other uh, other infrastructure that was damaged by the by the event. Okay, so so SBA is a major player here, as well as FEMA. And let me see if I got that right. It takes me about nine times to hear all this. So FEMA <clears throat> is a reimburser of expense for state government in this case. That's in large part. That's that's correct. There's a there's there's a a, a misconception uh, that uh, that FEMA is is a primary responder, and and that's just not the case. We do not have helicopters. We do not have swift water rescue craft. We do not have high water craft. Um, what we have is the coordinating ability to bring those resources to bear. For example, the the urban search and rescue teams who descended on Vermont and who performed marvelously during this incident. You may have seen them wearing uh, clothing or, or, or hats that said uh, Massachusetts Task Force 1, New York Task Force 10. Uh, th- we, we don't have, FEMA does not have personnel assigned to urban search and rescue teams. Rather, we organized a, a network of urban search and rescue teams from around the country. Obviously, large municipalities like or state or states in some cases like Massachusetts, um, Los Angeles County Sheriff's Department, uh, New York City, they have the uh, the resources to train, equip, and and keep ready 
urban search and rescue teams. And in the event of an emergency, FEMA has the, we have, we've organized and coordinated with them. And in the event of an emergency like this, we call on them to come in, pre-position, be ready for the, any urban search and rescue operations that take place. Um, we don't have, we don't have, we don't have dedicated uh, FEMA personnel who perform rescues. Um, what, what FEMA has is, is a checkbook and that's, it's a big checkbook. Right. Okay. That's helpful. So if you are, uh, Bear Pond Books, where I spent much of the day yesterday in their basement, uh, or if you're the coffee shop owner, or if you're a landlord, uh, if you're Tim Heaney downtown, uh, Montpelier, are you gonna interface with FEMA at all? Or are you talking to SBA? Or are you talking to your state senator and the governor's office? Primarily, from the federal government's, uh, uh assistance, perspective, the SBA is going to be your primary avenue of, of assistance uh, through uh, through the federal government for our, for private businesses. Um, they offer low and low to no in- interest uh, loans um, and, and other uh, other assistance, uh, primarily loans uh, for to replace uh, lost inventory to uh, to cover the cost of, uh, uh, of lost uh, revenue and, and whatnot during uh, during a period when the business isn't uh, open and generating any cash flow, um, and uh, I'm 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 really really reluctant to to speak at length about uh, what the Small Business Administration sure. does. I'm, I, I've 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 sat with them, uh, and and if and when. <laughs> If and when the uh, the disaster is declared, I, I can guarantee you the next time you come in, the next time a FEMA, per, uh, a next time a FEMA public information officer comes in here, I'm 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 reasonably sure they will be accompanied by a public information officer from the SBA who can answer these, these kinds of questions in detail. Great. Um, you were uh, your boss, Director Chris, Criswell, was here with the congressional delegation. What is the role of the congressional delegation? They show up, they, you know, they're hugging people and they're giving sympathy, but now Becca Ballant, Peter Welch, and Bernie Sanders go back to Washington and they try to figure out a way to do what exactly? We have a, as you mentioned before, uh, my, my official title during, uh, during blue sky, uh, days, uh, day to day operations when we're not involved with the disaster is, uh, as a congressional liaison for Region 1 located in, uh, Boston. Um, so we are constantly in touch with the with the federal delegation on matters ranging from uh, constituent uh, inquiries about their national flood insurance premiums to inquiries from uh, from businesses and uh, municipalities who are undertaking projects in the floodplain that require our regulatory review. That all happens during uh, during blue sky, as we call it, uh, during steady state operations. Um, I'm currently uh, deployed here as an assistant external affairs officer, which means I'm wearing uh, uh, two or three hats. Um, but I'm still a congressional affairs uh, liaison, and I've been in touch with uh, members of all th- all three members' uh, staffs. Um, we stay in con- constant contact with them and try to keep them as updated on, on developments here in, uh, in Vermont and on the ground um, to the greatest extent possible. The the uh, the congressional staff are obviously an important uh, avenue for uh, for their constituents to get information to us and to and to ask questions um, so we are in constant uh, contact with the congressional 
uh, delegation staff and are always working to uh, provide them with the information they need to keep their constituents informed about uh, about what next steps are and, and how they can assist themselves in, in their recovery. Um, I notice uh, we focus on businesses, but as you drive down Elm Street uh, in Montpelier, there are houses there and, and just entire contents of entire houses out on the curb. There is, so there is a link between homeowners and FEMA. Is that right? That's correct. That's that's our primary um, okay. focus uh, in in terms. Well, it's one of our two primary focuses. I shouldn't say they're the primary focus. Uh, the two major programs which FEMA offers uh, in a, in the wake of a disaster are individual assistance, which is the program that that uh, provides grants to uh, individuals and families, to to households. Um, the other program is the public assistance program. As I mentioned, that's the program that provides uh, grant reimbursement to uh, state, county, municipal, and tribal governments. Okay. Uh, so FEMA has a long history. Actually, it's a fairly recent, uh, recently created, at least if you're as old as I am, a fairly recently created agency Um it's not like the US, USDA or the Justice Department. Uh, it actually hasn't been around that long, and it, right? I mean, I should I should know the date, but I, I think it's seventies, eighties, seventies, yes. And during the Bush administration, I remember buffeted by the political winds. But Director Criswell is no uh, stranger to disaster, uh, right? What's her background? Uh, Director Criswell is a seasoned and experienced uh, uh, emergency manager who previously served as the emergency management director of New York City. So she's uh, quite quite accustomed to uh, to directing large organizations uh, in, in disaster uh, response and recovery. Okay. Uh, we have to take a break. You are great to join us. Do you, if you're a homeowner, how do you get in touch with FEMA? Is there a number to call? There, there will be. I'm, I'm reluctant to start uh, to start getting people uh, fired up to to contact us before we have a major disaster declaration. Right. Because, right. because uh, obviously, at this point in time, if you try to call the disaster number or try to go to the the disaster registration website, it's it's not going to know who you are or where you're calling from or wh- or why you're calling because we don't have that uh, we don't have that declaration yet. That's that's the next big step to unlocking uh, federal aid for uh, state county, municipal, tribal governments, and for individuals and households. Perfect. Okay. That's really helpful. So don't don't bother calling them yet. Keep cleaning out, uh, and we'll wait for that major de- declaration of disaster, and then things will begin to roll. Dave Mace, thanks a million. Oh, glad to be here. Thank you. And uh, I'll hopefully, uh, hopefully uh, we can uh, see that declaration uh, soon and uh, start to uh, Start getting. We, are, we have we have plenty of personnel inbound, but uh, hopefully you'll see uh, more boots on the ground uh, very soon. You're going to see them in blue T-shirts with a with a FEMA insignia on their uh, on their T-shirts. So uh, stop them and ask questions because uh, this is going to be complicated and it's going to be a long haul. But uh, FEMA is going to be part of it. Dave, thanks for coming in. Thank you. We are back. That was good to have uh, Dave Mace from FEMA on. So it's, I know it's frustrating out there. Uh, believe me, I was there uh, yesterday and the day before. I know we all want some people to swoop in with 
$25,000 checks. Uh, that is not FEMA's role. It is for homeowners. Uh, but mostly FEMA is a reimburser of expenses. So those trucks you see out there, road construction, uh, other sort of infrastructure-based things that the state is now spending money on, FEMA is going to reimburse the state of Vermont. So, you know, if you're, if you're a coffee shop owner downtown, uh, generally FEMA is not going to be your point of contact, uh, you will, it will be if you're a homeowner, but not if you're a small business owner. That's going to be the small business administration. Um, so hang in there. Just hang in there. Now, one more point before we get to our next guest. Uh, we spent a lot of time talking about Montpelier and Barry here, uh, and Waterbury. Waterbury, uh, happily escaped much of this damage, uh, but we can't forget friends uh, up and down uh, the green, the spine of the Green Mountains. I mean, Jamaica, uh, Londonderry, uh, Andover. Uh, let's go <clears throat> then. Then north of us, Morrisville, Johnson. God, I, the scenes in Johnson, Richmond. I mean, the scene in Johnson is just a sight to behold. And uh, I, I'm just looking at the pictures on. Vermont Digger, um, you know, Craftsbury. I, I don't know if Craftsbury, I know Sky Barsh, the CEO of VT Digger. I don't know where she's living these days, but I, you know, her, she was cut off. She had no power, cell service, her phone, her road was out. She couldn't get out of the house. Um, I don't know if Craftsbury is still cut off, but they were. So, you know, if, if you've got, if you've got an issue, if you've got a question, don't hesitate to call us. We will have the answer or we will get you the answer. The number is 244-1777. Email me at vtviewpoint at radiovermont.com. Uh, and we're just here, uh, in addition to talking to our guests, we're here to, uh, be a friendly voice on the other end of the line. Um, because people are still digging out. And it's going to be a long haul. One more point. Uh, if you are a pleasure driver and just driving around or doing errands, please don't go to downtown Montpelier or Barry. Um, what's happening is, you know, I know you want to take your pictures for your Instagram feed uh, and send it to the kids back home, but you are clogging the main arteries uh, and making it hard for the casellas and the septic trucks and the people providing food and the contractors and the business owners and the landlords to get in and out of the properties and in and out of the city. Um, take your pictures, but get out and by all means, do not park. Uh, just do not park, okay? Because those parking spaces, you know, the, as the sun is out now, uh, that mud is drying out. The street sweepers are coming by, but every time you drive by on that on that mud that's drying, it kicks up dust, and there's a lot of toxic stuff stuff in that dust, and everyone's breathing it, and we've got to be really careful about that. So please, if you're a uh, if you're just driving around, uh, go around, go up uh, Vermont College of Fine Arts Way on on uh, College Street. Go, uh, just, just go on Barry, use Barry Street to get to the 
Hunger Mountain Co-op, which, by the way, is open. Shaw's is open. The Hunger Mountain Co-op's open. Um, one last point. The, if you are on foot in downtown Montpelier, the, uh, the North Branch Cafe is open and they are, uh, giving away food. Uh, they ask for a donation if you can, but if you're hungry, uh, also just outside Shaw's, uh, next to the drawing board and the, and the Savoy Theater, Montpelier Live has a kind of command post and they've got fruit, cookies, bananas, water, uh, everything, you know, but if you don't need it, don't take it. But, uh, if you're hungry, uh, they'll, they'll be there. They were there yesterday and they'll be there today. Okay. Our next guest is my buddy, Patty Comline, and uh, she has some news to give us about a new fund that people can contribute to uh, to help us through this disaster. Hey, Patty, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks so much for having me on. What's going on? Tell us. So um, we're working hard. We've been working around the clock, as so many people have. Um, I had experience working during Tropical Storm Irene, working at Stratton. And I was very much aware of the limited help, as you heard from Dave Mace, uh, the uh, limited help with FEMA and small businesses. But there was a fund up in northern Vermont uh, located here by helping around the state, and it was started by Todd Bailey. And it was a Vermont Irene Flood Relief Fund um, that was very quick to be giving money to our small businesses. Not a lot of money, but but it was helpful. And so I called him the day it was flooding, and um, he was already put the wheels in motion, so he asked me to join on. And um, so we had a meeting with Sue Minter from Capstone um, to join on, to join with us. And uh, so we had a call, and we quickly formed a board of seven. Mike Pichek joined us, uh, Kelly Devine from Burlington, and Sue Aaron Sigrist from Mountain Retailers and Grocers. And then we got Brian Maggiato from down southern Vermont. He's a small business owner, and we recognized, as you mentioned earlier, you know, and a lot of businesses were you – know, a lot of regions were hit down there. Um, so we're raising money now. Our, we have a meeting at 11 to determine what our goals are, fundraising goals are, but Todd raised $600,000. Uh, we're going to max uh, uh, checks being given out to $10,000. Uh, the turnaround will be quick. Uh, we're working on an application. That's what we're finalizing at 11 today for small businesses. And what it really is is uh, to help them. It's a bridge. It's a long road ahead of them. It's kind of a morale boost to get this kind of help and just – I think you mentioned, and I know other people, they realize that downtown businesses just need an infusion to keep going. Right. So yeah. That's our intention. Yeah, I, I really learned this uh, in person yesterday. I, I didn't really get it. You know, we're we are all focused on, you know, oh, Bernie's in town or Becca's in town and the governor's saying X, Y, and Z and FEMA. But when I was uh, down in the Bear Pond basement yesterday, what they need is cash to make payroll. Mm-hmm. Uh, these people are not working, um, and they need cash to make payroll. Then they need cash to pay the rent, and they need cash to pay their contractor who's going to come in and replace their floor. I mean, it's just a cash situation. They don't need – I know that the SBA is going to be here with loan programs, but you're right. Uh, these folks need cash. It's devastating, and the idea of – the thought of taking on a loan – yeah. You know, on top of this, and they're probably still paying loans from from COVID too, and so, yeah, all of that is very demoralizing. And so, this is this is helpful. It's hopeful. It helps them keep taking those steps forward. Um, and that's our intention. Patty, tell us the name of the fund and where the people can so find it. The fund name—it's too long a name—but it's Vermont Main Street 
Flood Recovery Fund. Uh, donations are tax deductible. Our website is vtrecovery2023.com. I'm going to say that again, vtrecovery2023.com. There's a link there um, that goes to, to a place where you can donate money, and as I said, it's tax, tax deductible. And, and um, my tea check's been a great help being on there, and Sue and Todd and and the others. So. Actually, P check was going to be a guest on this show, and guess what? We bumped him for you. How about that? Oh no, no, I'm going to see him at eleven. Or, um, <laughs> I told him he's 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 incredible. We really put together, you know, a, a group that we're hoping can raise money and and get the word out. And really, we want we want those applications coming in from the businesses. But as I said, when I was down working with the Stratton Foundation. You know, I was the conduit for that, and I just couldn't believe how how smoothly it all went for these businesses. And well, I mean, one one check went for a commercial dishwasher, um, and another a man we gave them I think it was eight thousand dollars, and he just broke down when we gave this check to this crusty Vermont guy. Right. And um, just to know that people are out there and have your back. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, Bohemian Bakery at the corner of State and. Uh and uh, Maine, which I try to avoid so that I can live beyond the age of, uh, you know, where, where I am now because the, it's, uh, it's the greatest pastries in the world. I mean, you know, they, they're just, they've lost stuff. I know the flower shop uh, down on State Street lost their cooler. Uh, yeah, it's, it's about coolers and dishwashers and uh, washing machines and Lord knows what. You know, we were unbolting uh Bookshelves, you know, Bear Pond's going to replace their entire uh, floor in the bookstore, and they're going to have to pay a contractor to do that, and and they're going to have to pay staff along the way. So it's it's so great you're doing that. Um, Todd, so you said that the last time around, Todd raised six hundred thousand dollars. I think it was uh, as as my memory serves, which isn't as good as it used to be. It was around six hundred thousand. So. Um, we don't really have a goal because there's always going to be more. I mean, in our application, we're like, how much do you need? We know people are, all need max $10,000. They need more. Yeah. So we're going to do what we can, and we'll do a second round if we can, if that's necessary, you know, if we have the, if we have the resources to do that. So the more money we bring in, 100% of it can go out to these businesses. And it's quick. I mean, that's what was really great. We plan to have the application ready. Uh, I have to see early next week and then turn checks around in that next week as long as we're bringing in the money. And how are you going to prioritize uh, giving out the checks? It's a rolling basis. Okay. Money coming in, applications are coming in, money's going out. So we're not going to wait and collect them by a deadline. We just want it going out fast. So it's, we know the need is there and the need is real for everybody So as, as it comes in. And it's important that uh, you've, you've got – reputable, trustworthy names on this board. Uh, we know them all. Um, and because this is a time when people are vulnerable and they can get uh, scammed by people. So take it from me. You're talking to really trustworthy people here. We'll give you the website uh, again before Patty leaves. But um, but one more question before we take a quick break, and that is uh, – Dan Smith over at the Vermont Community Foundation in Middlebury is also has a fund, and I don't know the details yet. He's going to come on the show next week, but I, I assume that you guys will 
sort of stay out of each other's way or work together oh, or yeah. we all partner. Holly, and, right. Holly Morehouse from Community Foundation is on our first meeting, so they know what we're doing and, you know, everybody's collaborative. I was I had a call yesterday from Roxanne from VBSR, and we're talking about how we can work together. Um, everybody out there, they have their own resources, and we're all we're, – yeah, it's not stepping on toes but working together. And we all know if you've had experience in this, you got to work fast because people's attention gets diverted after a week or so, and yeah. their lives move on, and they forget that for businesses and, and homeowners, their life is never going to be the same. We're talking to Patty Comline, who is one of the founders of a new fund, a disaster relief fund that people can donate to that will – no bureaucracy. I guarantee I don't even have to ask Patty, but Patty and Todd and uh, Mike Pichek, I guarantee you they're doing this for free. And um, uh, if you donate money, it will be tax deductible. And it'll go right out the door in the form of grants to small businesses. Patty, I know you're working with Capstone. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yes, they'll be our our sponsor, and that's what enables us to be um, uh, tax deductible. They're they're a nonprofit, and we don't have time to form a nonprofit for ourselves. They did this for uh, Todd's group during Irene. So uh, Sue quickly jumped on board. Liz Scharf, who works with Sue, has been incredibly helpful. We worked pretty much all day yesterday on getting things set up with the, with the website. Um, we know, again, it's, we've got to all work so fast because people's attention spans are short and also because it's really, it's a race against mold for everybody right now. They have to get everything out of those buildings. They've got to strip out that wet sheetrock and then run fans and let it all dry. But otherwise it gets, you know, the damage just creeps up and just gets worse. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. Some, some businesses, I stopped in and talked to Lauren Parker yesterday at uh, North Branch Cafe, and she told me that in her building, the mold uh, risk is, is very small because uh, it's built of stone and granite down there in the basement. And that she said that mold doesn't, doesn't cling, doesn't happen, uh, doesn't develop uh, on stone, um, and that she is going to be okay, uh, much better off than, uh, than other folks. And I... That was interesting. They're serving food. Um, it's free. You can go in and get something. Uh, they ask for a donation if you can, but, uh, but it's, you know, and then Montpelier Alive's got that sort of command center with food. Uh, the tent and Skinny's Pancake is yeah. open, offering the same. And you and I are talking a lot about Montpelier because this is where we are. Yeah. Um, but as you mentioned earlier, this is going around, you know, every, you know, going on around the state. Well, tell. I have a friend, um, and I know. Uh, for those of you who don't know, Patty, she was a former state representative and um, used to live in Dorset. I have a friend, Patty, who owns the uh, Jamaica House Inn in Jamaica, and um, she survived. Uh, but boy, Londonderry took a hit. Oh heavens! Londonderry, uh, Ludlow sounds like it's yeah. devastatingly awful down there. Yes, yeah. but then other areas. It seems like life is going on. There's there's no evidence, right? So we've got to remind those people um, because they're the ones that are in better shape to to contribute. So yeah, and and then north of us, Morrisville Johnson. I was saying earlier in the show. I mean, God, those pictures out of Johnson. It is just hard to fathom. Um, uh, Richmond got hit pretty hard, uh, and yet I've I've got some family visiting this the, for the last <clears throat> several weeks, and. Uh, <laughs> We've had a blast, but uh, they're in Moortown, 
and they didn't get hit hard, although they did get uh, they did lose power a couple hours last night. So, well, I was glad what you said earlier too about don't just drive by, come down and take pictures. It's super demoralizing when you're working hard and you're muddy and you can't breathe, and then people are taking your picture. It's like yeah. hand, you want to hand them a mop and say, "Come on in and help." Yeah. Um, and there, you are the, the dust downtown is toxic and awful. Yeah, it's really bad. Uh, and and listen, my uh, actually my sister in law called me this morning and said, "How can she help?" She's she's visiting from New Jersey, and I said, "Look, you don't need to." You know, she says, "I don't have boots and I don't have this." I said, "You don't need to uh, go down in the basement and get all dirty. You can uh, you can help hand out water. You can do errands. You can, there's just a, show up at the Montpelier Alive tent um, and just ask, how can I help?' Uh, there's plenty of things to do." You don't have to be uh, down in the basement like a coal miner. So uh, you're and, right. You're and right. the money, if you don't, you know, contributing, you know, making a donation. It was during Irene. Oliver Olson and I worked together on that town because he's from Jamaica, and the truckloads of water and dog food that were coming in from out of state were insane. And we were like, there was nowhere to store it all. You right. know, instead, if people had just raised money instead of hard goods. You know, it, it, I mean, it was great. It was it was well intentioned, um, but but actually having the money where whether those business owners know or those homeowners know what they need is extremely helpful as well. Yeah, it's it's yeah, I know. It's I I, I went on Twitter yesterday. And I I might have sounded a little snarky, but I said what these people need is not a loan program. They need cash, and they need Absolutely. it right now. So. Tell us, Patty, uh, again, the name of the fund and where they can find you. The name of the fund is the Vermont Main Street Flood Recovery Fund. Um, uh, check, we, we're actually, we have a portal now for um, you know, credit cards, and that's being done through Capstone. There's a link on our website, and it's vtrecovery2023.com. And that's okay. our website, and... There, you'll see there where there's a link to, to contribute. And, um, and we're working to get a challenge grant going. We're hoping to get that. We're working with some national, hopefully we're getting some national, um, support as well. Okay. I'll, uh, I'll put out the word on my own website. I'll put, tweet it out on Twitter and we'll put it in the show notes and the podcast of this, uh, of this show, uh, which will be up very, very soon. And we'll pass the word, and I'll start emailing people. It's it's uh, it's great of you to do this, and say thank you to all your fellow board members and thank founders. You. And I will add just one thing before yeah. I forget. So Chris Cochran and Gary Holloway, who's connected with the downtown organizations with uh, the Agency of Commerce and Community Development, they're also advisors to us. So we're checking with them. So we're making sure everybody knows what we're doing. We're not just out there rogue. Um, we're coordinating as much as we can. So thank you so much for this opportunity to spread the word. Hey, we will see you on the street. I know, uh, I think the governor's coming on again at, I don't know, do you know? I think it's 11. Um, so we'll get an update from the governor and about everything that's happening. Uh, did you lose power, by the way, before we have to break for no. a call? Good. No, we were, we're you know. Fine up here, but but we're we're pretty high up, and we were fine. It was dry, and no okay. nobody was lost power. So, okay. all right, Patty Comline, uh, I hope you raise a lot of money. Uh, I'll be a contributor. Thank you for coming on. I appreciate on. that. Thanks. Take care. Okay, Patty Comline, I can't remember the name of the fund, but uh, we will 
We'll put it in the uh, the podcast of this show. I'll put it on my website. I'll tweet it out on Twitter. And um, Patty's a good friend, and uh, the people you can trust the people uh, who are starting that fund. Uh, it's statewide, and they'll be bringing the money in, and they'll and they'll send it right back out in the form of small grants. So uh, you can trust. Take it from me, you can trust these people. I've known them for a long time, and uh, they wouldn't lend their names to something if it wasn't uh, exactly being done for the right purposes. And they, I guarantee you, they're doing this as a volunteer effort. So we're going to take a break. We're going to come back with Bob Nay, our weekly conversation with him in Washington, D.C., to talk about all things Washington. Uh, We can talk to him about FEMA because I guarantee you, as a former congressman, he'll have experience. It's Kevin Ellis, Vermont Viewpoint, WDEV. Did you know that Radio Vermont Group Digital Services can create videos including drone footage? We've even won awards for our videos. If you'd like to learn more and see examples of our work, go to rvgdigital.com. Radio Vermont Group, we're more than just radio. We are back. I'm Kevin Ellis. It's Vermont Viewpoint on WDEV, the friendly pioneer, and we go to Washington to talk to our good friend, Bob Nay. Hello, Bob. Welcome to the show. Oh, thank you, Kevin, and sorry about all the flooding that y'all are having there. That's terrible. Oh, well, it's let's get right to it, uh, because you are experienced in this as a former member of Congress. Um, FEMA is here. Uh, this this storm basically mm-hmm. went right up the middle of the state. Um, the, the governor declared an emergency. Uh, I just had the FEMA guy on the show who said mm-hmm. that they are awaiting a federal disaster mm-hmm. declaration from the president. Right. What, what's your experience around this kind of thing? Well, in, in your case, by the way, I, I first got a message from India asking me about the Vermont flooding, which I <laughs> thought was amazing. The stories ran over there. You had a one in a hundred chance, this is according to the Post, a one in a hundred chance of occurring this type of flooding in any you know given year, and on top of it, you had the uh, you know Hurricane Irene uh, from a dozen years ago, and they said that the combination of both of those hitting Vermont was a zero point six percent chance of happening. So this is a you know extremely unusual uh, series of you know punches for the state, and. Uh, FEMA will consider, I went through this in the congressional seat. We had a horrible uh, flood one time, killed a lot of people, actually. And um, FEMA will also consider, you know, the fact of unusual events and, uh, you know, flooding events combined, you know, with, uh, you know, the rarity of them, et cetera. So I don't, I mean, I want to pre-predict it's the Fed, but the president should be declaring it a disaster, disaster area. And then that will open up a lot of support with your state naturally in your locals all being able to uh, coordinate together. I mean, I know your state and local are going on their own now anyway, you know. With, right. But, uh, FEMA right. will help. Right. And what I learned is from the FEMA guys that uh, they're basically a, a bank. They reimburse the state for right. the, the expenses incurred with search and rescue, uh, road repair, uh, things of that nature. Right. And it helps, you know. Now, you know, I've, I've went through this so many times over a 24-year period uh, with, you know, just different disasters we had. It, you'll, it'll never be made 
100% whole in the sense of, you know, you take everything you had and you, you know, you reproduce it back. But having FEMA in there is, is something that's needed because that starts to kick in the ability to, as he said, reimburse, but also get more resources to, to a state. Uh, Bob, when you're the president of the United States and you're dealing with Ukraine and Israel and Lord knows what, uh, this declaration for tiny little Vermont comes to your desk and you sign it. What's going through your mind if you're President Biden? I think that the you know president would be thinking about. Uh, I would assume the presidents are thinking about you know the disasters of the country. How do you handle them? Uh, and and they would be hoping that this is going to help you know people obviously to get through a great trauma in their life. That's what I think. Yeah, and, the would think. and Bernie Sanders, uh, Senator Peter Welch, and our new mm-hmm. member of Congress, Becca Ballant, were all here, and they mm-hmm. flew up on Monday, uh, and uh, I believe it was Monday, maybe Tuesday, uh, uh, and they had with them the director of FEMA, uh, Director mm-hmm. Criswell, who seems to have some good experience in emergency management. I know FEMA's been, you know, a political football over the decades, mm-hmm. but uh, Criswell seems to have a lot of experience. If you're if you're Bernie Sanders, what what do you do besides hugs and uh, expressions of sympathy? Mm-hmm. Now you go back to your office and say, how do we gather up as much money as we possibly can, I suspect? Well, you do. And then I had a river district, I'll call it. A, lo- a great portion of my district was on the Ohio River. So we would have you know things of this nature, not just like a rare occurrence, but it would it would sometimes happen on a regular basis. And of course, other you know problems, disasters with some flooding within the area. But uh, I, we put together in our office. I'm sure Senator Sanders, you know, uh, I I served with him when he was in the House. He's a pretty detailed guy, and we put together people in our office that were always available. They knew FEMA. They had contacts. They had contacts within the state. And I can guarantee you what your members, your senators and reps are thinking, you know, is contact is essential. We had this train derailment up here, you know, in New Palestine near me. And the big key to it is the contact. So the senator's office and the the two senators and the House member, Kevin, are going to get, you know, bombarded with calls. But their direct relationship with your emergency management people in local and state level in Vermont is crucial. So I know that. I, I guarantee you they're going to be telling their offices, keep the lines going, see what they need, and keep that communication going forward. I Bob, guarantee it. Bob, let me ask you this last question about this subject. You know, I, mm-hmm. I, I said recently, I said, you know, it, it seems really easy uh, to send weapons to Ukraine, and it seems really hard to get a $10,000 check for a coffee shop in Little Montpelier so they can uh-huh. make payroll. And I, I know that's what people are feeling. They're, they're thinking, God, we're spending billions all over the world, and yet I can't get ten grand to make uh-huh. my rent payment. Talk about a little bit about that gap in that our political system inevitably has where the little guy is saying, God, how can we spend all these billions all over the world, but I can't get money to fix my coffee shop? 
It's like you were here yesterday. I just had this conversation, not coffee shop, but pretty close. Right. With three people, with three people that stopped me. You know, they knew I was in office before, and they had this very conversation about, you know, why we can do this and we can do that on the big picture. But when it comes to, there was a business in trouble here in town. You know. Right. And uh, and it was a well-supported business, and they want to know why that why can't it get help. And it's like anything, there's categories of ways to help. And unfortunately, a lot of times in the, you know, the small needs, they, they aren't met. And so it's not, you know, all fair. And then, of course, there's a bigger picture, too, of when it comes to the Ukraine. Putin used the word nuclear. His generals did. So when it comes to that, we I think we do have to look at the overall good of what's going on, but it's still hard for people to imagine. Okay, you can cough up eighty billion with a snap of a finger, but you can't take care of something for ten thousand. And it's just that you know, there's just different categories of of items and how they you know support them. And then there's the bigger pictures. Like, unfortunately, I hate to say this, but war yeah. uh, becomes a, a bigger picture that gets more of what it wants quicker, uh, yeah. which is sad. Yeah. Well, it's it comes with it, you're a big country. It's a big government. Uh, uh, there's it's not an easy answer. Um, no. But speaking of war, let's go to Israel for a moment. Uh, the White House called on the Israeli government to protect and respect the right of peaceful assembly after Israel police made dozens of arrests and used force against protesters who rallied across the country against the Netanyahu government's judicial overhaul. I know it's complicated. It's a, it's a deep rabbit hole, but protesting against the Israeli government—that's uh, that's interesting. Well, it is. It, I thought the story was interesting because Netanyahu, who I have met on several occasions, and who is no wallflower by any stretch of the imagination, uh, will probably hit back about um, our protests in the United States and any of the protests where people have been arrested or injured. You know, he'll he'll do that most likely, but Israel is having this enormous type of change inside, I think. Netanyahu's been there for a long, long time. He's had 12 political lives. He's prime minister again. He went out by one vote. He's back in. He appointed a very, very uh, right, right, right uh, cabinet position with two members, and uh, they've got trouble in the, you know, in the settlements, trouble in the West Bank, He's being criticized by the U.S. and the U.N. for doing more settlements in the Gaza Strip. Janine, they had some raids into the town of Janine. And as a result, you know, they've got that whole NASA situation that's been going on for a long, long time. But on top of it, these protests are Israelis headed to the airport, 10,000-some people. This is unusual in itself. And they have um, blocked the, you know, the way to the Ben-Gurion airport. They are all upset about the fact that Netanyahu is trying to change the whole judiciary, and he's on trial. And a lot of people forget that. Benjamin Netanyahu is on trial for bribery charges. And meanwhile, he's trying to redo the judiciary. So it's not going down well in Israel, but from his point of view, he's trying to do it because, frankly, it would help him in his issue in court. It makes what we're dealing with in Washington seem like small potatoes sometimes. I'll tell you. Well, yeah, and, and again, uh, Israel is a democracy, and they have you know arguments and things like we do. But but this is getting to the level you know when you have 
10,000 some Israelis going to the airport and blocking it, that's getting to the level of where it's, it's turning some heads in Israel. Yeah. Bob Ney, as always, thank you. Knowledgeable on so many subjects. Uh, we will talk to you again next Friday. Thank you and good luck in Vermont. Many thanks. We're back. I'm Kevin Ellis. It's Vermont Viewpoint. And have we got a surprise for you? My old buddy, Marianne Lichtig from Seven Days, is here to, to discuss her story this week about, uh, about an intimacy choreographer that helps teens navigate, uh, you know, uh, the, the uncomfortable scenes of kissing and other things in a new play called Spring Awakening. Marianne Lichtig, welcome to the show. Hi, Kevin. Nice to be with you. It's been a long time. <laughs> well, sit, boy, next to each other or within a stone's throw. You know, uh, we're, we focused the, the show all week on, on the flood and, and it's, but it's, and so it's really great to, I'll, 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 I'll bore the listeners with Marianne Lichtig and I were reporters at the Burlington Free Press together and sat, you're right, within a stone's throw. I think Mike Donahue sat between us somewhere, but. Uh, yeah, probably. <laughs> and Marianne Lichtig had the best line I've ever seen written in a newspaper story in Vermont, and it uh, I, I think about it to this day. She once wrote about a guy, he was a logger or something, a working guy, and the line was, this is the kind of guy who takes a shower before he goes to bed, not before he goes to work in the morning. Oh, that was Vince Luzzi, I believe, <laughs> um, a profile of him because he had grown up. Boy, I don't remember all of the details because uh, it's been that many years ago. Yeah. But, yeah, that to me was um, a real mark of somebody who works for a living. Right. You know, I like, I mean, you and I work for a living, but he gets his hands dirty. And I grew up on a farm also. And so, yeah. you know, that's. Those are the people that I grew up with, and so I certainly noticed that, and I have a lot of respect for that. Well, tell us about Spring Awakening, and tell us about what an intimacy choreographer does. Well, Spring Awakening is a show that Full Circle, Full Circle Theater Collaborative has taken on, and it's brave, as um, I believe the, the intimacy choreographer noted, and um, but yet it's a, a musical that was done on Broadway, I believe 2006, at the very end of 2006, it debuted and it won like eight Tony Awards, um, including Best Musical. But uh, it deals with the sexual awareness of young people living in late 19th century Germany when times were censored and you weren't supposed to talk about things. Uh, and the play itself, when it was written at that time, was banned. And then it was brought back as this musical. Um, and the directors are saying we're taking this on because so many of the themes in this show, as difficult as they are, are still relevant today. And it's important to get it out there. It's important for teens to see themselves on the stage um, and to see, you know, it, it's okay to talk about navigating this type, this time in adolescence. So there's some very mature themes in the show. Um, and then the scenes that are depicted can involve, they involve violence, uh, they involve um, a gay kiss, and also um, a first kiss that leads to a sexual encounter. 
And so these are teen actors um, portraying very mature themes. And the show very wisely turned to a woman named Laura Rold, who is with Vermont State University as a theater uh, instructor and director. And she's trained for like three years now. She's been taking courses in intimacy choreography. This is something that um, has been going on for a number of years in the film industry and the TV industry. And it certainly got a huge boost um, during the the Harvey Weinstein trials and the Me Too movement um, because so much more awareness was made. These movies have had fight coordinators and stunt coordinators for years, but yet when when there are intimate scenes, they expected people just to do it. Um, As Laura said, she went through theater training herself in the 90s, and the attitude was power through, just do it. Don't think about it, just get through it. And that's no way to... Uh, treat an actor. So they, so she, she, she basically choreographs. I mean, we all sit at home and watching Netflix and we wonder like, God, there's this sex scene or the kissing scene or whatever. And you think mm-hmm. to yourself, you think to yourself, is that real? Um, and what's going on behind, and you know, and these people are, are beneath cameras and there's lights and there's, there's a, there's an audience. And what right. you're, what you're writing is that the that Laura Rold basically choreographs this thing down to the second, so that mm-hmm. uh, the actors feel safe throughout the whole process. Mm-hmm. That's exactly it. It's very much about honoring the actors' boundaries, honoring their consent and their comfort level. One of these young actors said to me, you know, Laura, Laura's the master of illusion. You know, they're not doing these things on stage. Uh, maybe there's a kiss, but um, even that, every time before they rehearse a scene, um, an intimate scene, a challenging scene, they do what they call a boundary check. And they, you know, name parts of their bodies, and they say whether or not they use it, they call it the gate fence system. Is it okay to touch? Um, is if it's a gate, that means no. And if it's a fence, that means ask first. And they, they acknowledge the fact that your boundaries may change, not just day by day. They say minute by minute, and we're going to respect that. We're going to keep you comfortable um, and safe. And the reason you're right, Laura choreographs this down. She tells them when to take a breath in some instances. And she does that because... She wants them to be able to go through the motions without having to draw on any sort of emotion. I mean, actors are supposed to be, I think, I'm not an actor, but did some in high school. Um, you want to pull on emotion, right? But she's not expecting these young people to pull on any emotion and certainly absolutely no personal emotion. This is not personal. They draw a line. You are your, you are your character. And if every single move is spelled out, you can replicate every single move the same way each time. And I think this part's important. She describes it as a contract between the actors. The actors know what to expect from each other as they're going through that scene. And those of us who were, those of us who were trained to watch people like Daniel Day Lewis, uh, who never go out of character, actually what she's training these kids to do is to, as you say, D-roll. So after the kiss mm-hmm. scene, for example, mm-hmm. you, you write that they do a silly handshake at the end to check in with each other and signify that they're no longer portraying that character. Right. 
Right. And I think that's crucial part of it. And it can be a, a silly handshake. It could be whatever they want that to be just to say, okay, we're, we're no longer in this court case, Melchior and, uh, Vendla were ourselves again. And, you know, these directors have said these actors have just risen to it, that they're very mature and that they've done a phenomenal job. And I certainly saw that when I spoke with them. They were eloquent. Just mature, uh, smart young people. Wow, and you know, the, and uh, and this and Spring Awakening is playing. Uh, here it is, uh, directed by Amy Halpin Riley and Gina Fern, with musical direction by right. Randall Pierce. Full Circle Theater Collaborative, and it's various dates: July 14 to 16, July 21 yeah. to 23 at Main Street Landing, and also at Correct. the Isham Family Farm in Williston. Right. It opens today at the Isham Family Farm and runs uh, through the 16th, which would be Sunday, and then moves over to Main Street Landing. Well, that's exciting. For next weekend. Yeah. I'm hoping to see it. This darn flood has got me a little bit busy, but I've certainly been planning to get there. What? Uh, tell us about flood news. What? What have you been covering there? Well, I've seen a very small sliver of what's going on in the state, but what I have seen has been just absolutely amazing. Um, I've been to Woodstock and to Montpelier. Uh, in Woodstock, I'm visiting and hoping to write something about the White Cottage Snack Bar, which sits right along the Ottaquiche River. Oh, yeah, I know it well. Is, do you know it? Yeah, it opened in 1957. It's oh, yeah. charming. It's your, it's your sweet slice of summer. It's only open during the summers. They're known for their fried clams, their burgers, all their ice cream. And they put picnic tables down by the river, which is normally too low to even paddleboard in, the owner told me. Yeah. Well, the river came up, surrounded it, uh, wiped it out in Irene. And John Hurley, the owner, built it back, and I, you know, built back better. He moved it 25 feet farther away from the river and 18 inches higher. And that really saved it this time because the, the river came up and surrounded it like an island. The river's supposed to be behind it. And he said, you know, it actually came in through the front door. It came around. And then it went back in. It just like it surrounded his snack bar and then um, just royal. They said it was like white caps going back down into the river after yeah. it circled the white cottage. So it's, um, did not get huge structural damage this time. A, a chunk of earth under the back rear corner was gouged out. And so they're showing that up. I was there Wednesday afternoon. I'm telling you, I'm just amazed at how fast things happen. Two concrete mixers are there pouring concrete, yeah. you know, starting the work to shore up that foundation. And then I was in Montpelier, popping it at a number of places I can tell you about. Oh, good. I, I must thing. I must have missed you because I, I was down there as well. Yeah, I think every you know, people, by the time I got to Bear Pond Books, they said, well, you're like the last one to show up. You know, they're right. talking about, they're naming reporters. These people have talked to reporters from, well, probably all over the country. Right. But, Right. Yeah, I was. Were popping in. Yeah, we were we were there pulling out the bookish shelves and uh, cleaning out the basement. Well, Marianne Lichtig, oh, uh, yeah. we have. Uh, I'll send you an email because you can find her email uh, right attached to her story in seven days. It's great to see your byline again after so many Thank years. You. And one of the best writers in Vermont is. Uh, you can catch her byline in seven days. It's great well, of you to join kind. us. We'll see you again soon. Absolutely. Well, thanks, Kevin. Really nice catching up with you. Okay. 
Marianne Lichtig of Seven Days, her story about uh, an intimacy coordinator who helps uh, teen actors uh, role play, especially around sensitive scenes around sex and other things, uh, is in this week's edition. You can find it online or on your newsstand. And I've got to tell you, Marianne Lichtig, boy, what a great co-worker she was and a great, great writer. So pick up Seven Days, check out her byline, and uh, more to come from her. She's a real, real treasure. I'm back. Let's go to the phones. Hear from real people. Rama, you're in Williamstown. Welcome to the show. Yeah, good morning. Hey, I, I, I just want to sing some praise for a, the humble wetlands that absorbs water and releases oh. it more slowly. Yeah, you got it. And and the reason I, that I, I, I'm bringing this up is because I'm very aware of what went on downstream from us in Williamstown, which means Barrie and then Montpelier. And they, and knowing how much water has been kept up in the wetlands just in Williamstown alone is such a large amount that, you know, it will probably cut that flooding by 50% of what it could have been if we had just, if we had upstream of Barrie, for instance, channeled that water so it would run cleaner and straighter and get out of our area and head somewhere else. So I, I, I just so when people talk about because and some of our wetlands, by the way, are just natural. Some have been required due to permitting uh, sort of thing. So it's a mixture of why it's there. But so I just wanted to sing that praise for that poor wetlands out there, so that we don't forget just how valuable they are. Well, you make a really good point, Rama. Um, you know, I know back in the legislature, we were all, everyone was arguing about affordable housing and I, no bigger proponent of affordable housing construction than me. Uh, but you can't pave it all over because if you do, then the water just, uh, just rushes down and destroys everything. And those wetlands absorb everything. I had Brian Pfeiffer on, the naturalist, to talk about his uh, travels in bogs and fens of northern Vermont. And, um, you know, there's a lot of water in this state, and it, it, those those wetlands and those bogs absorb a lot of rain. And if we don't have those things, we're, it's just the, the water will go everywhere. So thanks for the call. Um, so, and no stranger to uh, bogs, fens, and wildlife, uh, our next guest uh, his day job is the general manager of the Washington Electric Co-op, who provides me my electric power. But uh, country boy at heart, he's 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 uh, he's tromped around a few bogs in his time. Lewis Border, welcome back. <laughs> Thanks for having me. Yeah, the uh, the natural kind and the political kind. <laughs> what what? Uh, actually, let's go off Rama's. You know. You live in Adamant. I mean, there's a lot of water. How's the how's downtown Adamant right now? How's that road? Well, the road is gone. Uh, the the buildings and the people did okay, but the road is gone, and uh, it will be it'll be a, some time before it gets before it gets uh, fixed up. I, I, as you say, I live right right near the the village of Adamant there, and there are three ways into my house, and two of them have been completely washed out. Um, so we're we're uh, 
we're getting by and and we are able to get most of us are able to get out uh but uh but there there's a lot of damage to that road that runs through the village a lot of damage to Martin Road which goes to County Road from the village uh and uh and other parts of Callis Callis had a quite a bit of quite a bit of damage to a number of roads well Martin Road is sort of the I kind of call it the the Porter family driveway isn't that right <laughs> it's not all porters. There's there's quite a few of us. It's not all porters, though. <laughs> so uh, the last time we talked, you had had uh, hundreds of people without power. You were down to a hundred. What's going on now? Well, last night we had another two thousand out. Uh, oh. Last night's uh, storm came through and and put another two two thousand of our members out of power. As as your listeners can imagine, the waterlogged soil uh, and the precarious position of trees and some of the repairs that we did the first time around were all not in, not in very good shape to withstand thunderstorms uh, like we had last night. But the line crews worked all night, and uh, I'm happy to say everyone's back on this morning except for uh, one or two uh, that are particularly difficult spots. So we're, we're almost all back on, and, and the line crew is uh, wrapping up the last few and then going to go uh, take some rest. It's uh, my lights flickered, uh, but uh, we did not lose power th- throughout the first storm, and now yesterday's kind of flash lightning storm. Just I just had a flicker. Um, that's you know it's it's kind of a, a lost story is the power outages. We're all focused on the flooding, but we boy two thousand people that's a lot of people. Yeah, and there's still statewide. There's still about three thousand out right now um, from last night's storm. You know, the the first uh, go around earlier in the week, the power grid actually did remarkably well. Uh, we had fewer events, fewer breaks in the in the power uh, lines than than I would have thought we would have. But then last night we, we we got it again, and that that was worse on the on the power power system, at least in total total number of uh, of breaks of incidents, and it was. Lightning strikes and uh, wind. Yeah. It, let me ask you a question, uh, which it, it's probably too soon to ask it, but what the heck. As we come out of this, we've got to do things better. I mean, I know my, uh, if he's listening, my crazy friend Dan Jones out there is on Facebook promoting, you know, moving all of downtown Montpelier up to, to the college and just repositioning the entire uh, town. But the watchword going forward here is going to be resilience and, uh, you know, we've got to rebuild in ways that, you know, I know Waterbury really t- took a lot of steps uh, and, and since the tropical storm Irene and they were better off this time. What do we have to do? What, what are you thinking about as an electric utility executive to say, how do we get more resilient as this stuff happens more and more? Well, there are there are things we can do to improve the the harden and improve the resiliency of our of our electric system, and we are doing them. Other utilities are doing them, but you know, Washington Electric has 1,300 miles of power lines. We have enough power lines to go from here to Georgia. That is, we are never going to be able to underground all of those lines. Right. So we strategically put some lines underground where they're where it makes sense, where it's feasible to do and where it makes sense and where we have had problems. But uh, we live in a rural part of the world. We're going to have power outages, and and sometimes those power outages are going to be 
long uh, and going to feel even longer. Uh, but w- there are there are things we can do. I think that Green Mountain Power has done some some innovative things that the rest of us in the utility world uh, look to and, and use as a test cases uh, for some of these things. But you, as you saw in, in storms this week and in March, you know their system too, like ours, has a lot of rural places in it, and a lot of places that are hard to get to, and a lot of places that have a lot more trees than they did when the power lines were put up. Uh, that doesn't mean we shouldn't be doing everything we can do, and we are. We and the other utilities have a bunch of grant uh, grant requests in uh, to the federal government for battery storage and, and other things that can that can improve our resilience. But but you know, it's it's living living in the country is and will remain uh, different than than living in a place where it's feasible to underground the electric lines because there are enough people per mile to to pay the cost to do that. Right. Uh, I mean, you have a you have a wide background in other areas, journalism, environmentalism. I mean, uh, should we be? I mean, I'm on the I'm chair of the board of Downstreet Housing, and uh, we had to evacuate 23 people on in our apartments on Elm Street. And the electrical system is all of it is in the basement. I mean, I just was yeah. hitting myself on the top of the head. Whereas at the the bus station. Uh, in downtown Montpelier, where we own apartments, all the electrical is above ground and was fine. Uh, we need to th- we need to build differently when we, we if we're going to build all this affordable housing, we need to build it in a re- more resilient way. And it, and it's not just housing. I was talking today to somebody from state government who was saying the very same thing about state buildings, and and many of them were built with the electrical uh, system in in their basements. Yeah, and uh, we need to be. You know, it's been said a million times, but I'll say it one more. The, these aren't hundred-year events; they're decade events now. Yeah, and and you know, it's interesting listening to. Sorry, go ahead. No, no, and you, you go ahead. It was interesting listening to Rama point out the wetlands piece. Uh, that's something that we talked a lot about after Irene, and I think people got very educated on after Irene, and and I think it. It always bears repeating those places. You can see it on the landscape where there are wetlands and floodplains above these places. They don't flood as badly. And we saw that in Irene, uh, in Addison County in particular, uh, where there's a lot of intact and functioning wetlands and floodplains above uh, Middlebury. And uh, we saw the opposite in, in some of the other watersheds in the state where, where the, those things don't don't exist as much anymore. Yeah. Yeah, the, uh, you you were fishing. You were you were the state fish and wildlife commissioner, so you've been in these woods and wetlands a lot. I have, and and one thing I notice, I, as you can imagine, I've been around our territory quite a bit this week, uh, bringing bringing stuff out to the crews or getting in touch with people, trying to see see where we can get to and where we can't. And one of the things I've noticed is the oversized culverts that that we put in after Irene generally held up pretty well. Uh, it's those older ones that were built smaller and remain smaller and haven't been replaced that, that caused a lot of these washouts. Well, the generator people are coming to my house in the next few days to install a backup generator against my wishes, I might ask, I might add. But uh, I live with somebody who uh, demands uh, is demanding that uh, if there is a glitch in our power outage this winter, she wants a backup generator. So... I'll be calling Washington Electric for tips on how not to screw it up. <laughs> fair, fair enough, and uh, 
And there is uh, one other thing I wanted to mention to you, which is that uh, Washington Electric operates a community fund, a, a uh, donations from our members uh, we, we put together in a community fund, and normally we use that money to fund local nonprofits and their and their work providing housing, food, and other, other things like that. Right now we are going to reach out to those nonprofits and solicit them and see if they had damage to their own uh, buildings and systems that we can provide small grants to help with. So sometimes in these uh, in these kind of events, some some small amount of money quick quickly out the door and without a lot of strings attached can help. And so we're soliciting uh, those nonprofits that serve our 41 towns to see if they have needs uh, that we can pay for out of that fund. Okay. Well, that's great. Thank you. Thank you for telling us that, and we'll be sure to promote that as well. Lewis Porter, GM at the Washington Electric Co-op, thanks for joining us as always. Sounds great. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. We're back, and with just a few minutes to go, uh, let's just go through some of the things that we have gone over uh, today. Let's see. Uh, first of all, the Hunger Mountain Co-op in Montpelier is open. Uh, they were they were only closed one day. They're wide open. Uh, hot bar, deli, everything going strong. So that's available. Shaw's is open. Next to Shaw's is the uh, Montpelier Alive tent. And Alec, the uh, recreation director, is there at his laptop kind of coordinating all sorts of deliveries. And there's food, bananas, cookies, drinks. Stop by there if you need uh, if you need free food. Um, so, also tomorrow, Saturday, uh, the weekend's coming. I mean, the emotional trauma that folks are going through with the flood downtown in Barrie and Montpelier, not to mention everywhere else from Johnson all the way down to Jamaica. Uh, the weekend comes, and you know some people are gonna rest and go have fun people are still struggling with this they're still cleaning out they're still they're still struggling so the Montpelier farmers market for example tomorrow from 10 to 1 has been hold on 9 to 1 9 to 1 uh, has been moved to up the hill to the Vermont College of Fine Arts. Thank you to Leslie Ward and Katie Gustafson for making that happen. 36 College Street. So go, uh, go have some fun, get some food. And as they say on the, on the, on the, uh, on the email that I'm looking at, go hug, come hug a farmer. New temporary location, the green at the Vermont College of Fine Arts, 36 College Street, 9 a.m. to 1 p.m. tomorrow. I will be there. Uh, so, because the, the permanent location, which is the, well, I call it the old uh, AOT transportation building on State Street. I'm not sure what's, what houses it now, what it houses now, but, uh, in that parking lot right near the State House, that's still muddy as heck. And, uh, it hasn't been cleaned up yet. So, uh, it's going to be up at the green, farmer's market tomorrow, great fresh food. And, uh, so I'll see you there. Um, let's see what else the, the new, hold on, let me go to the, uh, the Patty Comline, uh, new fund that's been stood up, uh, to raise money for, uh, the disaster relief. I'm going to read you 
the, here it is, the Vermont Recovery, okay, uh, Vermont Main Street Flood Recovery Fund, okay, here's the website, vtrecovery2023.com, that's vtrecovery2023.com, and how to donate, you can give a tax-deductible donation on behalf of of Vermont's Main Street Recovery Fund. That money will go directly to Capstone Community Action in Barrie. And our friend Sue Minter, who was on the phone Wednesday, she will take in the money and just hold it uh, as as kind of a bank. Uh, and then, go, so go to their website, vtrecovery2023.com, click on the link under How to Donate, and please make a donation. Because uh, I know these board members, Todd Bailey... State Treasurer Mike Pichak, Sue Minturk, Patty Comline, Aaron Seacrest, uh, Kelly Devine, and Brian Maggiato down in, he, he runs the uh, Inn at Manchester. Um, Kelly runs the, uh, the Burlington Business Association. Aaron runs the Retail Grocers Association. These are all people of great reputations. Uh, your money is safe. Uh, you can trust them. Uh, Todd Bailey did this, uh, did this back uh, when Hurricane Irene happened and he raised 600 grand or so. I'll try to have him on the show next week. We'll talk in more detail about this, but you can trust these people. Go to vtrecovery2023.com, uh, and that money will go in small grants, uh, right out the door with no strings attached. Grants range from 2500 to $10,000 to cover costs such as equipment replacement, supplies, and help with cleanup. And this will help bridge uh, the need until further support is available. So uh, your money's safe there. I'll contribute, and um, and it, it's a good cause. Uh, and it, it's not just Montpelier and Barry; it's uh, statewide. So um, that's that's a, that's a, that's just a great thing. Thanks for Patty to come on for coming on. Uh, okay. Uh, I don't have this show scheduled for next uh, Wednesday when I'm next on the on the air because uh, things are moving so quickly. Uh, we'll we'll we're going to get a little bit more back to normal, but we will keep we will keep you uh, updated uh, with flood news along the way um, because uh, this is going to be, as I say, it's a, it's not a sprint; it's a marathon. Well, that is our show for today. Uh, if you want to be a guest on the show or send us a suggestion for a topic, drop us a line. The show becomes a podcast at WDEVradio.com. And, of course, as always, we love you to listen live to the show. I'm here Wednesdays and Fridays. Okay? I know I know you want me full-time. I know, uh, you know, I, I know Kaya especially. Kaya and Lee especially want me full-time so they can harass me when I'm uh, in here at 8.20 to promote the show. But but I can only do it Wednesdays and Fridays. You can find me at kevinkellis.com where you can subscribe to my weekly newsletter called Conflict of Interest. We, uh, we write about a lot of the topics that we cover on the show. I'm on Twitter and Instagram if you want to follow me. My podcast, Conflict of Interest, examines the issues we deal with on this show And I will be back Wednesday. As always, we'll talk politics in Vermont and the nation. Uh, My garden, which is pretty soggy at the moment. Uh, Nothing like raised beds, though, 
to uh, to have the water kind of sluice between the beds. Uh, I think I've lost my sweet potatoes, but uh, the tomatoes look okay. Uh, and we'll talk about everything else on your minds. Our show is produced by me, engineered and made possible by Danny McGivergan and all the great folks at WDEV. Uh, remember that website one more time, VT Recovery. 2023.com. Please be generous. Uh, these downtown merchants really need it. Uh, our show uh, will be back on Wednesday. Thanks so much for joining us. I'm Kevin Ellis, and we'll see you right back here Wednesday on Vermont Viewpoint Live Radio on the Friendly Pioneer WDEV.